As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business. From liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Welcome to another episode of the Odd Thoughts Podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. Joe, it always feels to me like it's earnings season. Isn't that right? <laughs> I feel like every month it's earnings season. I it feel, just goes on forever. I know. It's always earnings season. It's always like about to be Mardi Gras in New Orleans. <laughs> like there are certain things that are like, oh, that's, that's, that's this time of year again. Like certain things, it's always like Carnival in Brazil. And it's like, oh, that's happening again. And yes, earnings season is always <laughs> right around the corner. These things that just seem, I think that they feel like they're supposed to be rarer than they seem to be. Yeah, they happen four times a year, but it seems like it's constant. Uh, maybe this is one reason why we historically haven't done a lot of earnings episodes, but I think now is a good moment to actually stop and reflect on what we've been seeing from companies because, of course, all of this feeds into the big macro inflation yep. discussion. Well, two things about this is like one is economists should listen to co what companies say more totally. often, I feel like. We've so, there's so many economists, and I love them, but there are so many economists out there who, you know, like they'll have some chart about the money supply or the Fed <laughs> or some like the dot plots and all this stuff. And all that's great. And I love it and everything. But often like companies are just telling you what's going on. And a lot of my favorite sort of like economics analysis comes from someone who's just like, let's listen to the conference call and hear what management has to say. Right. There is a tendency for economists to talk about inflation expectations in the sort of abstract sense. But you could just read an earnings transcript and look at a big food company, for yeah. instance, and see that they're saying, oh, yeah, we're going to push through some more price increases. And that would be a pretty big clue. And why? And this also gets to, and the nice thing about conference calls too is, you know, the analysts represent the interests of investors, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're asking the questions that investors want to know about. And one of the things that we've explored for years on this show is the degree to which companies care about investors. And we talked about it a lot with oil specifically. Oil companies for years maximizing drilling output versus price, then switching post-pandemic and so forth. So- these conference calls give a clue on both sides and that help drive corporate behavior. Totally. So on this episode, we are going to be trying to, I guess, draw that line between the micro and the macro, talk about earnings and what it means for the wider economy. And I am very happy to say that we do have 
the perfect guest. We are going to be speaking with Samuel Rines. He is a managing director over at Corbu. You might recognize his name if you've been subscribed to the Odd Lots newsletter. Uh, I've written a little bit about his work recently, but he's been writing some very good analysis of earnings and specifically the pricing strategies that companies are undertaking in the current environment. So Sam, thank you so much for coming on Odd Lots. Thank you for having me. So, uh, you know, I, I first started reading your work, uh, I guess it was last year, and you've developed this idea that you call POV, price over volume. Can you walk us through exactly what that is? Sure. So basically going back to, let me call it early 2022, it was kind of this realization that something was going on underneath the surface with corporations that was pretty interesting. And that was, they were making the decision that they didn't really care about losing a little bit of volume. And they really cared about kind of finding how much price they could push and how much the consumer would react to it. And the first really interesting example of that, that we pulled out was Pepsi. And Pepsi, we called it the new PPP. It was what was going to bail investors out (laughs) after the Russia invasion. And it was the Pepsi pricing power. Pepsi found that even though they had about 4% of their revenue exposure to Russia, they could push price everywhere else and make up for that volume without any problem. So it's this really interesting kind of first tidbit, right? Corbu, we tend to really focus on what's going on with the geopolitics and try to drive down into that and figure out how to kind of play around it. And it was really a revelation, at least to me, when Pepsi was pushing double-digit pricing. This is so fascinating. I'm I'm already like blown away because to me this opens up a whole new way of like thinking about some of the questions and tying things together. But let's stick with Pepsi for a second because when the invasion of Ukraine happened, there were certainly a lot of people who understood some pretty straightforward ways that that could be inflationary, right? Energy grain costs, et cetera. But what you're saying is there's this other mechanism that happened that you only would understand by sort of looking at the micro, where a company felt pressure to raise prices elsewhere to compensate for the loss of sales in one market so that they can continue to deliver steady results for the investors. Yes. And it certainly wasn't just Ukraine. It sure, certainly sure, wasn't just sure. that. They also had, you know, they have Frito. So there yeah, was, there was sure. Some, there was some, there but was that some, was a factor was in factor. everyone around the world to some extent who is a consumer of PepsiCo products was to some extent paying more to compensate for the lack of revenue and earnings that they were getting from the Russian market. Oh, exactly. Wow. And, and it was it was pretty immediate. It was not something that it was just a subtle pause. It was something that was very, very well, quick. Can I, just real quickly on this. Did, were, did they say like this? We raised prices in these markets. How do you know that that's the reason? Oh, it wasn't. It, they never explicitly stated. Okay, it, right. It was they had an excuse to begin raising prices. This they is, had. This is exactly what I wanted to bring up because, yeah. like, it does feel like in the environment of the past three years, you've had a lot of supply chain disruptions. It feels like there has been a peg for companies to go out and say like, well, because of this, we need to raise prices. And this is something, Joe, that actually came up on our episode with the baker, right? He said explicitly that if something is going on with, for instance, the price of eggs, if there's an avian flu outbreak and it's national news, 
news, it's an opportunity to increase prices without getting a whole bunch of pushback. And and that is that is exactly it, right? A lot of companies had these call it one-off or very very rare excuses to raise prices and begin to find how much the consumer would take. And one of my favorite examples of this is Wingstop. Mm. Right. It mm. was national news that chicken wings were pricing was going through the roof, right? And it was something like 125% year over year at one point. And Wingstop began to push price, push price, push price. And they had zero pushback from the consumer, right? The consumer just continued to buy chicken wings. And it's not as though there are a limited number of places to go buy a spicy chicken wing. Right. They pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. And now chicken wing prices have fallen somewhere around 50% from their peak. And Wingstop is not exactly stopping pushing their price. In wow. fact, they're saying and guiding towards a typical 2 to 3% type price increase. So it's a really interesting, once you get that price push, once you figure out that the consumer is willing to pay it, that is margin expansive over time as you begin to have a normalization in your input costs. So are there any examples, like, what other publicly traded companies also have sell a lot of wings? Ooh, I'm trying to think. But I guess I'm Buffalo like, Wild Wings. Isn't uh, they, that went, one? they went private. Oh, they oh, did. They yeah. did. Oh. But I guess what I'm the reason I ask is because you know intuitively one would think that if Wingstop is raising prices, some other company could use that as an opportunity to gain share. And so, in your reading of tra of these transcripts, why don't we see that effect of play? I get it, Wingstop. They're a company. Why wouldn't they want to push price to see where that breaking point is, maximize returns? Why do you not see other companies then say, okay, well, we're going to try to make it, a, uh, we'll take a lower margin for higher volume? Because they can raise price right alongside of them and have those have those mm. larger margins. I mean, it's one of those things with Pepsi, right? Pepsi, Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't have Pepsi being able to push price in, in theory. Right. It should be... Pepsi and Coca-Cola battle it out and you have very minimal price increases and they don't have the ability to really play catch up with inflation. And that's simply not the case right now. They're just willing to take it. So what did Coca-Cola do when uh, Pepsi was raising prices all around? R raised prices right alongside of them. <laughs> Interesting. And took a little volume hit. So this actually leads nicely to something else I wanted to ask, which is how much of this is a sort of food consumer goods mm. story versus other types of manufactured goods? Because certainly reading your research, you know, there's a lot of talk about Pepsi, Wingstop, Smuckers, Texas Roadhouse, <laughs> which is one of my favorite. Um, <laughs> this is episode right I yeah. haven't eaten yet today. So oh, I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Um, actually, neither have I for once. Um, okay. So how much of this is about food versus other sectors? Oh, it's, it's really interesting. So I kind of divide it into three categories, goods, services, and leisure. Hmm. And just to kind of break it up into a, a way, kind of a framework to work around it. And so if you look at services like Texas Roadhouse, again, that's, that's kind of food. Um, but, you know, they're raising menu prices. They're also guiding to higher wages. Uh, same with Cracker Barrel, kind of the middle America businesses are raising their uh, menu prices and they're guiding to five to six percent wage gains hmm. in I mean they, they're pretty explicit about it so it's an it's you know it's kind of price over volume with the side of wages 
In the interest of journalistic integrity, uh, <laughs> Tracy just IB'd me during this conversation, reminded me I did have some turkey jerky. Joe is literally <laughs> sitting there so, surrounded no, by empty jerky no, wrappers I, I, saying I that like, he hasn't so eaten So when I said today. that I, I haven't like eaten like a proper meal today, I am not on a completely empty stomach. I do not want to deceive the listeners. And so I want to issue a uh, correction right there. A anyway, correction. Right. Where were we? Yeah. Well, and, and like, on the good side, okay, just yeah. really quickly, yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's interesting. So there's this smaller company, Donaldson, that does filtration systems. And they got into a 2 to 6% revenue gain in the coming year. And then in the fine print said, with 6% effective pricing. Wow. So, you know, you can kind of do the math there and figure out that that's 0% volume at the top end of the guide. I love the flow of this conversation because, again, it leads very naturally yeah. into my next question. But why aren't consumers pushing back? Well, I mean, to Donald's, I mean, for Donaldson, it's not just consumers, right? right. It's the corporations that well, buy their customers. filtration, customers that buy their filtration sure. stuff. Why aren't they pushing back? Uh, it's a combination of wage gains and that you're feeling a little bit wealthier, right? It, it, this this is a world where inflation doesn't feel necessarily as forced on the consumer and the consumer, you know, there's not a whole lot of options when you're trying to figure out whether you're buying Pepsi or Coke or Fritos or Lay's. I mean, it's, you, it's, it's a strange thing, but you look at, you look at the wage gains coming through the system right now and yeah. the wage gains make people feel a lot wealthier, particularly, you know, social security benefits, rocketed in January. Mm. You know, people are mm. feeling much wealthier, particularly in the lower deciles of income. I mean, I fully admit to being in a like total, uh, you know, a certain economic bubble here living in New York City. But it, it is a very frequent conversation where people sit, like complain, it's like oh, restaurant prices are crazy these days, etc. Yet, also, there, people are still going out to eat, and people complain about how hard it is to uh, get it, get a meal, or get a table, or a reservation at a restaurant, or order delivery. It's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta stop ordering like you know Uber Eats or Grubhub or whatever. It's just insane that I'm paying fifty five dollars all in fees for two dozen chicken wings, well, and then this, people keep doing it. This makes me think also, like, how much of this? This is. A speculative question that's hard to answer, but how much of it is just people are traumatized by a year of lockdowns? We all want to mm. get out and live our lives. Maybe, maybe we don't save a lot for the next couple of years, but we finally get to go out. We get to book travel, go on cruises, eat nice meals at restaurants. Wait, Tracy, can I tell you some bad news? Okay. We're like coming on three years of this. Is yeah, it, okay, it? but I was in Hong <laughs> Kong. No, yeah, yeah, no, no, I know. But, and there, the me, lockdowns are year. probably over, but. This has been a very long year. All right, fine. But I, I do think there is a sort of psychological explanation here mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is speculation, but what COVID did for a lot of people, including myself, was it shortened the time horizon of spend, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the life cycle model began to put some volatility into that. And you began to put some volatility into whether or not you were going to be able to do the things you loved, right? And kind of going back to this, you know, services question, when you look at RevPAR for the major hotels, occupancy really isn't back to 2019 levels yet. But the average amount of money that they're making off the room has skyrocketed back well above 2019 levels. Mm. So again, price over volume, there's a there's a certain level that there's, you know, a price push on the consumer and the consumer, you know, yes, occupancy levels are going higher, but the 
average room rate is going much higher. Same with cruises, right? Cruise, cruise capacities aren't back to 2019 levels, but pricing is well above. Uh, Norwegian came out with a really interesting earnings report recently where they said, hey, you know, bookings are really, really good and they're well above 2019 pricing levels. It's, it's just across the board on the pricing front. So from a cost perspective, a typical major national hotel chain or a Norwegian at this point, are they seeing much cost inflation? Uh, hotels, somewhat on the labor front, that's really where they're seeing their costs begin to move higher. On the cruise front, uh, bunker fuel. But um, overall, are the, these are the, they're expanding margins. They're, when they when they push through these prices, despite the fact that like they haven't even gotten back to volume levels, these are these are beyond what their costs are rising. Correct. Yes. Okay. Because that's very easy to yeah. see. That's just a, that's just math. And, and over time, it's going to be very very good for them. Sam, yeah. you mentioned something about customers having limited choices. For instance, Coke versus Pepsi, which. Is not exactly true, but you know, yeah. point taken. And this is an issue that has come up a lot, this idea of corporate concentration and that as the marketplace is dominated by bigger companies, bigger and fewer companies, they have more pricing power. Is that something else that's playing a role? Uh, it's certainly playing a role to a degree. It's because you know, if you see Pepsi raising price, you have, call it, permission to go raise price. Mm. And it wasn't just Coca-Cola that raised price. It was Dr. Pepper Snapple, they took price over volume and, you know, and now Keurig is in there as well. But, you know, Keurig took price and Smuckers on Folgers took price. Mm. You know, and those are the kind of, you know, you can kind of think of that as coffee at home. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid- to large-sized businesses, like yours, effectively manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com.
Can you talk a little bit about um, the questions that are being asked on these calls? Because presumably, right, an analyst wants to be able to go back and, you know, sort of like, you know, the information is ultimately the information they're trying to extract is the information that the holders of stock in these companies want. What are what are analysts asking and or sort of implicitly telling management about what investors demand these days? Sure. So there, there was an interesting question. Uh, this was a couple of quarters ago on a, on the wings on a Wingstop call, where one of the analysts asked, "If wing prices fall, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Are you going to go after volume? Are you going to go back after volume and market share?" And the, I believe it was the CEO responded with, "No. <laughs> this is a. You can think of this as a level set on pricing, and we believe that our brand can dictate that type." of pricing going forward. That to me was very indicative of what was going to happen and they followed through with it. Hmm. Wing prices fell and they said, no, we're just still going to creep prices a little bit higher here. Uh, margins are going to go higher. Another interesting comment, and this kind of goes to where I think a lot of things are going to flow on the price over volume front in the coming quarters. There was a very interesting call with a shipping company that for some reason I'm spacing on at the moment. But management had said, listen, Q1, Q2, it's going to be a pretty difficult time for us. But looking at the end of Q2 and into Q3, we see an inventory cycle beginning to emerge again. Hmm. Hmm. And so when you're raising prices, if you're Pepsi that said we're going to raise a little bit of price, if you're Coca-Cola, if you're any of these companies that have seen Kimberly Clark, that have seen those inventory levels at the end retailer creep lower, you're looking at the potential for not only higher pricing Mm. going into the back half of the year, but also a restock on the volume front. Hmm. So it's a really interesting one. So the big inventory glut that a lot of people were predicting, you don't see evidence of that in the current earnings results? So there's some inventory glut, particularly Mm. with companies like Target. Target, yeah. Target, uh, it's a POV world. I don't know where they're living right now. (laughs) I mean, when Walmart is pushing price over ticket, on their tickets and having lower foot traffic, that to me is indicative of something being very wrong with Target. And then you go to something, you know, you kind of want to check Just on to their Just to be clear, because Target is not raising prices, right? Target's not raising prices, and they're not getting the mix shift that Walmart might be might be seeing in a meaningful way. They don't have traffic and they don't have pricing. So and, wait, so, but this is interesting, yeah, yeah. because then you get Contour, which mm-hmm. owns Lee and Wrangler. Right. If, okay. you, if you think it's something to do with clothing, if you think it's something to do with merchandising, I mean, Wrangler and Lee put up a 7% revenue gain for the quarter. It's it's a really interesting kind of, and then there's Dollar Tree. I mean, Dollar Tree mm-hmm. had lower number of transactions at a higher price. I'm wearing Wranglers uh, right now, by the way. <laughs> um, I, sorry, I, want, I need to actually two things. I feel like this is the point to interject and point out that uh, Odd Lot's regular guest, Isabella Weber, is out with like a new paper on mm-hmm. inflation. And she talks a lot about some of these exact same things. Everyone should go read it, including also there was a PepsiCo call that she cites the same thing where the analysts were like, but you're not going to go back to like cutting cutting yeah. prices, mm-hmm. right? Like at the end of all this, are they yeah. are prices going to like mellow out or are you going to go low in the management? You know, the way they phrased it, according to her, is like, because we are a very innovative company, we do not feel like we're going to have to like compete <laughs> on price. Yeah. 
Uh, on Wal Walmart Target specifically, can you talk about like, you know, Walmart is probably a pretty great proxy for aspect. What is Walmart doing specifically? What is their strategy? And how much does it deviate from the everyday low prices, which I sort of thought of as Walmart's calling card for the last 30 years or whatever? Yeah. It, what is Walmart's strategy? Walmart's strategy is being at a lower price point sure. than call it Target. Okay. Um, and the interesting part there is that there's and they have a significant grocery business which is right. also meaningful and they've done a very good job on that front and that's where a significant amount of their call it price gains are happening right they don't have a significant amount of traffic going up but they do have a significant amount of pricing coming through the system and a lot of that is food inflation and Target you know, does have grocery, at least some of them do, but they simply haven't seen the consumer going there to shop for groceries. And, and you know, Kroger came out, you know, they're they're doing well on the grocery front. And so it's it's very much a grocery and a higher turnover type uh, world, which Walmart dominates over Target. So broadly, POV is intact. Consumers are not yet really pushing back against it, but maybe on the margins, we've seen some adaptation. So I know, I, th I think in like the recent Fed minutes, they were talking a little bit about consumers maybe changing their preferences. And then we also have this explosion of private label goods. So companies like Walmart selling their own brand of groceries at lower price points than say, I don't know, Smuckers or Kraft or whatever. To what degree could that start to impact the POV strategy? Private label is to a significant degree, part of POV, right? It, it gives the consumer the second option. And you know, when you begin to see Kroger, I think their, their own brand, the Our Brands was plus 10% mm. in the latest quarter. You are beginning to see private label take some mm. share, but it's not taking enough share to matter against the pricing power. So, I'm, kind of to your, to your point on Smuckers, I mean, they guided to 6% uh, net sales, 8% organic. Uh, and then in the fine print said, listen, we understand that there's going to be some volume down. So we're, it's go that's going to be all price. Hmm. And that was for 2023. Wait, sorry. Explain that last part again. What, what was it? So this was Smuckers. Okay. Right. So it's like Jif peanut butter, yeah. that type of deal. You know, and What's interesting about them is they said 6% net sales growth, 8% organic, all of that's going to be pricing. And we oh. understand that there will be an elasticity on the volume front. So if you get- But to, they're willing to take that. Because they, if, they if they could push 8% price increase and only a 2% volume to decrease, I, then that's a good trade. It's a great trade. How yeah, does right? that- how does that feed into wages? Because I imagine if POV is a dominant strategy and you're maybe producing less but selling it for more, then maybe you cut you start to cut back on on labor expenses, or maybe you know you have a slightly smaller workforce and you're paying them slightly more. I, I don't know. Yeah, seems well, like there's a lot of moving parts th there. There's a lot of moving parts. I I would point to Walmart going to fourteen dollars. Right. That's that's yeah. basically the minimum wage of the U.S. being raised to fourteen. I mean, it's it's the starting wage is now fourteen, and there there'll be some catch up there. I mean, Lowe's had to invest in their frontline workers heavily. Uh, Home Depot did as well. Places like uh, there's Tractor Supply, which is oh, yeah. one, which is one of the most interesting 
retailers on the planet. Tell us why. You know what? I've actually, in my mind, in the <laughs> backlog, I've like, we should do a tractor supply episode because that's one of those names that probably a lot of people don't know that company. But I think like the long-term stock chart on that is like insane, right? It's like one of the big secular it's, winners of the last decade or it's, something. It's been a phenomenal secular winner. All right, can we take a minute <laughs> yeah. to just have like a little one-minute discussion? What is Tractor so, Supply? So, you know, they, um, they sell live chickens there. Or at least the one close to me does. So in 1997, this was a one dollar stock, and now it's a 226 stock. So nice, nice couple, of, nice, nice three decades. But what is the yeah. story there? Yeah, so the story there is well, I mean, from 1997, it's been store growth, it, okay. phenomenal management team. The, the, listening to the listening to those calls, reading the transcripts, it's it's simply a phenomenal <clears throat> management team. And what they you know what they sell are everything from grain and things that you grain to feed animals. Different farm tools, equipment, yeah. hay. Baby to, chicks. We got to do a tractor. You know who we should have on, Tracy, who I bet would be good? Who? Who we've had on to talk about tobacco in the Lauren uh, oh. Tamtel. Oh, yeah. He'd be great. He knows all the real American companies. <laughs> He's like, anyway, sorry, keep yeah. going, keep going. But you know, tractor supply, you know, one, pays a fair wage okay. and has invested all along with their employees. And two, has had spectacular same store sales growth through the inflation, right? They can pass inflation on, right? It's known to farmers that there's inflation and mm -hmm. people in rural communities that there's inflation and farmers are doing and rural communities are doing rather well in this environment. I mean, the, one of the, one of the ways I will know price over volume is breaking is when Bucky's stops mm. advertising mm. that the, uh, it's an assistant general manager in at a very large gasoline station can make $225,000 a year plus benefits. Is that true? It's a sign that sits out in front of Buc every Bucky store I've been to over the last two and months. And that's not what got to do a Bucky. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> but I'll just say both of my kids, one of their first ever like diaper changes was in a, uh, a Bucky's bathroom and they're famously clean. And so I have a very big affinity towards okay. uh, Bucky. Okay, these, these are odd lots tips. <laughs> Change your kids' diapers at a Bucky no, and great. go to no, Target for they're lower the, prices. They do have the cleanest bathrooms in the world. And they're that's like their calling card. Like everyone knows you get a really clean bathroom at Bucky. Sam, you actually yeah. mentioned uh, something that I wanted to ask you, which is what would make you start to think or suspect that the POV strategy is starting to um, fall apart? Sure. So kind of going back to the way that I break it down into goods, services, and leisure, I would like to see leisure break first, mm. right? That's really when when people stop spending the incremental money on a very expensive Norwegian cruise or more expensive airline tickets, when that begins to break down, I think you begin to have at least a signal that the consumer is no longer able to take those price increases. And leisure comes first, services second, goods last, right? You have to buy peanut butter. At least I do, or my daughter will have a problem. <laughs> uh, but you have to buy those staples. So I, that's the called the cadence of POV that I'm looking for. Another rural uh, stock. I'm a big fan of looking at middle America as a signal for how the economy is doing is Polaris Industries. Mm. You know, they make Snow snowmobiles, snowmobiles and side by sides. And one of the things that they have said is we're you know, we're seeing two things. One, we're seeing volumes not necessarily be that great, but we are seeing pricing go up. Huh. Right. So they're pushing price and that's that's working on rural America pretty steadily. So I want to see things like that mm. begin to no longer happen. And when that begins to break down, 
that's kind of the first signal that the consumer is no longer able to take the pricing on you know, going out to Cracker Barrel or going to Texas Roadhouse, Olive Garden, and their expensive lettuce. That was actually one of the best comments I heard on what the conference that? call. That lettuce was a, I think it was a $2.5 million headwind wow. on yeah. the cost. Wow. Because they have unlimited soup and salad and lettuce is really expensive. Wait, Olive Garden does. Yeah. Do you remember the famous starboard? Yes. Uh, and they're like, they're like, <laughs> come on, put some, put some salt in the water and like cool it with the unlimited breadsticks. <laughs> Didn't you write a big, yeah, yeah. Um, like a ripoff to that? That was a great, that was just like some amazing uh, content. Wait, so, so oh. you were talking, Sam, you were talking about the cadence of people pushing back against um, price. And so I'm assuming if people start to push back first against leisure activities and then maybe, you know, non-essential goods like a snowmobile, would that be like a signal or a clue that maybe we're heading towards a soft landing? Well, that depends how the Fed reacts, Mm. right? Because it's going to be very difficult in, in my mind for the FOMC to get off of we call it 25s for life Mm. uh, until they begin to actually see corporations decelerate pricing. And when Smucker says for 2023, it's 8%, that is not good for the FOMC. No. When Cracker Barrel saying wage increases are five to 6%, that's not good for the FOMC. You know, one is a consumer good and one is middle America getting a pay raise. When Walmart's raising their minimum wage again, that's a pretty big deal when it comes to consumption on the lower end. So it, do I think it pushes us to t- closer to a softish landing? Oof. I would argue it is going to be rather easy to accidentally read too much into CPI decelerating hmm. simply because you're going to have used autos, which I don't, you know, you don't consume a used auto all the time. You do consume right. groceries all the time. It's going to be, easy to read in a little too much to CPI and PCE readings over the next few months and go and be really excited that maybe the Fed doesn't have to go to 550, 575, and then all of a sudden get caught a little off guard when corporations continue to push pricing and trying to find the elasticity on their margin. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid- to large-sized businesses, like yours, effectively manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. 
With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. I have just like two more questions, but you know, I just, I wonder, you know, we don't get conference call transcripts, obviously for privately held companies, but I, you know, it does seem as though, uh, and there are differences in how companies that have to be accountable to shareholders every quarter and answer Wall Street analyst questions every quarter behave. We did an episode recently with an investor in Arizona land, and he was saying that the privately held home builders feel more comfortable holding unused land on their balance sheets than the publicly held ones that have to like, again, answers like, why are you holding so much land? Didn't you, don't you remember the great financial crisis? I think there have been stories in the oil patch as well, where some of the privately held drillers are a little bit more comfortable expanding in part because, you know, again, and, and this is like a Jeff Curry Goldman thing, the exact, you know, profitability over volume, the end of volumetric expansion is in something investors want to see. Do you have any reason to believe that some of these dynamics that you describe may be different and that maybe some privately held companies see an opportunity for VOP to take advantage of when their publicly traded counterparts are doing POV? Ooh, I'm trying to think of a good example of that and you know call it the oil patch being in houston and yeah. um saying i talked to a significant number of these smaller operators it's it's kind of two things are playing into it one they're feeling cost pressures that are far higher than their publicly traded peers so their mm. ability to do volume over price is very very limited at the moment hmm. because you know they're publicly traded peers have far more pow scale, power yeah. and scale. It's it's somewhat different for the private frackers. They're they're doing a little bit more volume on call it the margin, but not much. And so it's it's a much different, I would say, mentality in the oil patch, even with the private guys, but the private guys, it's much more of a cost issue than it is a an attempt to do the volume. I, I'm sure they would. I mean, it's, it, this is, this is Texas, right? Yeah. Drill, drill, drill. <laughs> it's, it's pretty straightforward. When it comes to consumer goods, it's, it's difficult to find any that call it, have reliable size. Yeah. You know, you can right. kind of look at some of the, some of the companies that are growing pretty quickly in the private markets, but it's difficult to parse out exactly whether they're going for volume or if it's just the trend is their friend. Right. And I just have one last question, but it sort of dawned on me, you know, did we, did Odd Lodge help contribute to the inflation? I was inflation? just thinking about <laughs> that with like all we, our supply yeah, chain episodes. So it's like if, you, if, if like the real story is that companies use news about disruptions, about avian flu, about ports, about semiconductor shortages, about wings, chicken prices as excuses to raise prices rather than like real like. So it's like, okay, we spent three years talking about all these things. And then the company is like, thank you, Odd Lots. Please keep doing stories about disruptions so that we can do the pricing power. Like, is it our is it all our fault? I wouldn't say it's all. <laughs> <laughs> I thank mean, you. there's there's blame to go around. 
But there is an interesting part of that to that egg story, you know, going into Christmas, the USDA does this weird, it does a whole bunch of weird stuff. But one of the best reports out there was a post Christmas one mm. where it was the largest, they call it disappearing of eggs on record that they had done per person or mm. per household. I think it was eight eggs per household during Christmas. So even with the higher pricing, oh. volumes were up. So it's, mm. an, it's that's just an interesting side note. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, kind of going back to one of Tracy's points earlier, was we hadn't really been able to get reliably together for Christmas. Right? Yeah. And, you know, Omicron was, you know, a year ago. Yep. So we hadn't been reliably able to get together for Christmas. So we went big on baking this time around. We were excited to be together again. I think Tracy baked. I did. I I baked um cookies, sugar cookies. Oh my god, they took me forever. I have sorry, I have one more question in an attempt to deflect some of the blame away from all thoughts. <laughs> what are companies actually doing with the additional money? Is it actually going to pay off higher input costs and maybe some wage raises like we've been discussing or is it being returned to shareholders or investment? Like what are you seeing? All of the above. Mm. Uh, it is, it's a combination of needing to offset the input cost increases. They're non-trivial, obviously. Uh, some labor and better return for shareholders, dividends, et cetera. There's a great chart from John Deere on basically the revenue gain off of the price, mm. which is most of it, volume, which is very, very little, if any. And then the material costs, labor costs, and the return to shareholders. And the offset to the input cost increases mm. is 135, 140%. So it's a very interesting, and again, that's basically a duopoly in, in the US, but it's a very interesting study and there's enough to go around to cover all of it. Hmm. All right, Sam, thank you so much for coming on All Thoughts. That was fantastic, even though uh, it, it did lead to the, the realization <laughs> that we are part of the problem. Tracy and I, I feel like the light bulb must have gone up like at the exact same yeah. second. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry we did all these episodes. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Joe, I think we should call this excuse inflation. I like excuse inflation. And, and you're right. The baker said it. He told yeah. us all. Of it. He said, he's like, even in the past, because this was even his point when he said it was that even like prior to the pandemic, et cetera, when he as a baker was thinking about when to raise prices, which he wanted to do every year, the opportunities best arised when something related like, oh, a flower, you know, disruption in flour right. or disruption eggs were in the news. It's like, okay, this is the moment that you can raise prices without consumers pushing back too much. And then the last three years have been excuse, nothing but one-off disruptions. Of yeah, yeah. yeah. Lollapalooza of excuses, that's right. But obviously it does raise the question of what can break the yes. cycle. And it does seem, you know, listening to Sam lay out some of the comments that we've seen on earnings calls, it does seem incredibly sticky. And once yeah. you have that pricing power and you've managed to push through the price, it feels like there's just very little incentive to reverse that. Like, why would you? If you're Pepsi, why would you start lowering prices? And, you know, the thing is, and obviously 
the the irony to me, which I think you know, because people talk about greed and greedflation, right? And mm. it's like oh, they don't need to be raising prices; they're just expanding their margins. The irony to me is that as long as companies are in this greedflation equilibrium, like mm. a sort of corner of the payoff game theory matrix. The stock prices are not going to do well because this will keep the Fed on the 25 forever standpoint. That's sort of like keeping financial conditions from getting too loose. So the irony is the companies would probably wish they could get out of this part of the matrix because management is mostly going to have their wealth tied to the stock rather than anything else. So it's like a pretty undesirable state for I think everyone right now. What if higher interest rates, which increase interest rate expenses, <laughs> also end up fueling we, the POV strategy? Because you have to make that up in one way or another. We got to have uh, we got to have Warren Mosler on <laughs> to uh, talk about. We actually do at some point. Uh, this is definitely okay. an episode that I think has me thinking about like eight other episodes. Let's get Larry Hamilton on to talk about tractor <laughs> supply, though. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and chicken wings, yes. obviously. Okay. Shall we leave it there for Let's now? Leave it there. This has been another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. Follow our guest, Samuel Rines. He's at Samuel Rines. Follow our producers, Carmen Rodriguez at Carmen Armin and Dashiell Bennett at Dashbot. And check out all of our podcasts at Bloomberg under the handle at podcasts. And for more Odd Lots content, go to Bloomberg.com slash Odd Lots, where we post the transcripts. We have a blog and a newsletter that comes out every Friday. Go there and sign up. Thanks for listening. industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.